You're listening to The Itch, and this is Rock Matters. My name is Casey. I'm Dan. And I'm Aaron. And we've got a special episode this week. We do. Yeah, it'll be the first time that we don't have a Flavor of the Week, or at least we'll not talk about I mean, it's kind of a Flavor of the Week, however you look at it. but In a sense, if you go back to the very first episode, we mentioned that as a radio program, we have three main segments, being the Flavor of the Week, the Classic Rock Block, and Primus Time. So this week, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the release of Primus album Tales from the Punch Bowl, we're just going to dedicate the probably the whole show to Primus Time. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about Primus all night long, to be honest. And we might. They're one of our favorite bands, and, and for good reason. Yeah, you mentioned last week that Skindred was the Itch's favorite band, and I was thinking about how that is the official title that we give them. But Primus is uh, kind of one of like the foundational bands of the show, maybe would that be a word? Primus is the Itch's first love. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and why are they the Itch's first love? For me, I didn't really get into Primus until we started doing the radio show 16 years ago. And I know, you know, I, I just wanted to throw in that 16 years one more time. <laughs> Every single episode, I'm going to try to get that in there. You got it out of the way quick. Until we hit 17 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, might as well. <laughs> so they've been a feature on the show since like almost the beginning. Yeah, pretty much. And yet that was what got you into them as a thing? Yeah, because you guys, I don't know if you remember this, but when we first got the radio show, the radio station gave us a whole bunch of CDs. And the CD that I got was the Primus, uh, Animals Should Not Try to Act Like People. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was pretty much essentially the greatest hits plus five different tracks of never before released Primus music. And just listening to that got me into Primus. And I never really, I mean, I, I liked them, but I was, you know, I was your typical radio Primus fan before our radio show. I knew My Name is Mud. I knew I Know is Big Brown Beaver. And that was it. I didn't know that they had so many other songs. And it's really funny that we're talking about Tales from the Punch Bowl today because once I got the CD from the radio station, I fell in love with Southbound Pachyderm. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's the song that got me into Primus. I think to this day, that's a lot of people's favorites from that album and maybe just from Primus in general. I mean, I would definitely rank it pretty high up there. Well, and then the best part about Southbound Pachyderm, you know, was seeing it live. Not only did we get to see it live, but we also saw Primus 3D and seeing the jumping elephant in 3D was one of the coolest things I, I ever remember. And that to me is something that always stick with me with Primus. How many did you go on just a little bit about the, a jumping elephant? Tell me about this because I did not see this show. They basically were doing a tour called Primus 3D, and they played a concert in front of this big, giant 3D screen. And on the back, of, or you had these 3D glasses on, and you would sit there and watch the images, and the images would correspond to the song. Well, during Southbound Pachyderm, they literally had a giant elephant jumping on a trampoline. And that was pretty much the entire song, but it was in 3D, so you felt <laughs> like you were sitting there watching the elephant jump in front of you. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Unfortunately, unlike you guys, and this is where your expertise will come in, I haven't yet got to see them live. So, but I know that they have a thing for wild and creative ideas for live shows like you were just describing. And if you're already, you know, astonishing musicians, but then you've got some of that kind of charisma and, you know, creativity veering off into weird stuff that just makes it that much better. 
Well, I think the gr- great thing about Primus Live is that they're a jam band. And so, you know, they can expand on any song, make a, a two-minute song, a, an eight-minute to ten-minute long song, and it still is an entertaining song. Or American Life go into a 12-minute long song. Yes. Are you talking about that time you saw them and, and the entire concert was American Life? Is that? <laughs> uh, more, more or less, yeah. <laughs> Every time we've seen Primus live, it's been a different concert. I think we've seen them four times now. And the first time was the Green Nagahide tour, which was awesome. And I, If I ever see them again, I would prefer to see them after an album that I like comes out. Yeah. yeah. Because, we can get into that for sure. Well, we're going to because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because, We're going to do it right now, in fact. Yeah, the <laughs> second time that we saw them was Primus 3D, and that was it was themed, but it was still based on like all their their music that was released. And then they kept with they kept going with the theme. Like so, the next time we saw them, it was based on the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, you saw them after they released the Fungi Ensemble, yeah, Chocolate Factory yeah. album. Okay, yes, we did. And then we saw them after the seven was released and they played that entire album on the second half of their concert. I wanted to bang my head into a wall. (laughs) As much as we love Primus, the itch is unified in not having strong feelings of affection towards uh, the desaturated seven. There are two albums that I just do not like by Primus. I'll admit like the desaturating seven is the worst by and far, I cannot stand that album. I get what he was trying to do. It's a themed album. He was trying to make it based on like the children's story and I guess create music to the children's story. But I am not familiar with that story, so it doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't come across well. No. Well, you're dealing with a, a band that's reached that point of, well, I mean, maybe I should say this differently. You're dealing with a band that already kind of just does bizarre things to entertain themselves and whatever they feel like. They're not really beholden to um, standards of expectation from people and now they're at a point in their career where they really can just like even more so do whatever they want case in point play uh rush uh farewell of the kings yeah <laughs> but sometimes that's not a, a good thing that you when you reach that point <laughs> yeah even when they do start touring again i don't want to see that show so that so it was kind of one of those things where you got half of a good concert that time yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and they played some songs that we had never heard live before, because I think we got to hear, that was the first time I'd ever heard Fisticuffs. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. That was, was that one a killer? I would love to hear that one. They ended the show with it. It was fantastic. <sighs> see, what we're doing right here, we are, you are selling the, the desire to see Primus, because the Brown album I have a real soft spot for. It's kind of a, like a little bit of an outlier, a weird one in their discography because they had a different drummer at that time. And it just sounds different than most of the others, but I loved the percussion and I love just about every song on it. I still have that album, um, the CD of that album in my car that I go back to every now and then it's probably been there for 20 years. Would you say the Brown album is one of your favorite from Primus? I would say, let's see through their whole discography. I would say it was definitely top three. It might be my favorite. Sailing the Seas of Cheese is really, really good. And I Tales from the Punchbowl as well. I think those are my top three, probably in that order, but it could it change depending on how I feel any day. Well, and Aaron, you have kind of a special attachment to uh, Tales from the Punchbowl in general, don't you? So, yeah. So I, um, I don't remember the entirety of like the context of this story or why it happened. But I, at some point when I was a teenager, 
I was on like a family camping trip with like my family and a couple other friends of the family. And one day while we were on our, our trip, we went to a flea market and I found tales from the punch bowl just in a CD bin somewhere there. And this was before I was really into much rock music. And so I don't know what it was that made me pick it up. I have two memories chronologically, and I don't know which order they go in that happened. And then also at some point in my teenage years, I picked up sailing the seas of cheese from the library. Chances are probably because the cover was bizarre and it made me curious. So I don't know which one of those happened first, but I have a fond memory of purchasing Tales from the Punch Bowl at a flea market as a teenager and then listening to it on my, you know, portable CD player like yeah. for the rest of that weekend and then falling in love with it despite not really understanding most of what I was listening to. <laughs> Didn't really have a ton of knowledge of who Primus was or what they were, especially at that age because I was a fairly sheltered and naive child and mm-hmm. their songs are more clever, sometimes deeper and definitely dirtier than one might think at first listen. When you pay closer attention, you catch stuff and you're like, oh, okay, there was some interesting bit of innuendo. But um, yeah, so I don't think I like understood them very well, but I knew that I loved those songs. You know, it starts with Professor Nutbutter, Winona, and then we mentioned Southbound Pachyderm. And I don't know, if you're not hooked after those three songs alone, then they probably aren't the band for you. Oh, Mrs. Blaylene as well. You mean to tell me that uh, Winona's Big Brown Beaver is not actually about a beaver? I, I mean, <laughs> the, the music video would suggest that it is. But yeah, <laughs> I think Mrs. Blaylene was the one that may have. I don't know. It was the most unsettling because it's it's just it's about this kid that just lives. a, You know, he's dealt a crappy hand. And yeah. by the end of the song, he ends up semi inadvertently or semi accidentally like stabbing his friend, this other kid from school. Yeah, his newest friend. <laughs> yeah. His newest friend because his old friend ran, moved away. Ah. So it's yeah. just, it's a sad song. And I'm like a teenager. I'm like, oh, that that poor, that poor kid in Mrs. Blaylee. And she was, she was a mean teacher too. So like, I, I, maybe that's where I related to it because <laughs> this is a song that, that a, a high schooler can, can understand. We've all had our share of mean teachers. So yeah, it's just, it's a great album. <laughs> I've never had a teacher make me feel like an asshole. That's literally what. Yeah, that's true. Especially a two foot one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good point. So Mrs. Blaylene is just a terrible teacher is what we're really saying. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yes. She's the asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there's anybody out there like a, a, a lady named Mrs. Blaylene that wanted to be a teacher, but then heard this song and thought twice about it? She, <laughs> she reconsidered her career choices because she heard Primus. <laughs> or do you think he really did have a teacher named Mrs. Blaylene? And this is from one of his actual life experiences. I think most people who write songs that are semi-autobiographical change names. It's funnier to me the idea that he that he wouldn't. There's a Hannibal Burris comedy routine where he tells a story about this girl that he used to date. And how terrible she was. And then at the end of it, he's like, I got to quit using her real name. I always use her real name. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest part of the whole bit. And so the <laughs> idea that maybe maybe Les Claypool did have a teacher who was terrible and who went by that name kind of makes it even even better as a possibility. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so like I said, this album may have been my first exposure. It came out in 95. 
I honestly don't remember if it was that or Seas of Cheese. So Dan, you kind of said that their that greatest hits album was maybe not your entire first exposure. You'd heard the singles, but as an album, is that still is that actually is that the full statement of that? Like that was where you really got introduced to their full discography. Yeah, that was my first Primus album. Yeah, was animals should not try to act like people, and it was really funny because I was familiar with a lot of the songs, you know, especially. You know, I didn't know Southbound Pachyderm, but I did know My Name is Mud. I did know Too Many Puppies. I knew My Name is Mud. I don't think I knew um, Too Many Puppies, which is, is one of my all-time favorites. My first exposure to Primus was Pork Soda because my uncle had the album. For anyone who might not know, Pork Soda was the album that came in between Sailing the Seas of Cheese and Tales from the Punch Bowl. So we probably discovered them at roughly the same time. I want to say my uncle also had uh, suck on this because I remember the uh, <laughs> the claymation uh, cover art on the CD. They love that. Yeah, I didn't really listen to the album though. Suck on this is a Primus live album. The most entertaining thing about that album to me is that it was actually released before their first official studio album. And it featured songs that wouldn't show up for a few more albums. So it has like John the Fisherman and uh, Frizzle Fry from, the, you know, that their debut album, Frizzle Fry. It has Tommy the Cat, which didn't show up until uh, Sailing the Seas of Cheese. So it's kind of this weird, like, preview of the next few years of their album releases. Like, who, who releases a live album off the bat? I don't know. Well, it's really weird, too, because like most people won't release live tracks brand new. I can only think of one band that I know of that's done that, uh, where they release like a live album and it's all brand new songs, which, yeah. which I thought was so strange. Avenged Sevenfold has an album called Live in the LBC and Diamonds in the Rough. And it is the whole entire album is all live music. It's all brand new music that they ha- don't have on any other albums except a couple of the very end songs. But it's very. It's a great album, actually. One of one of my uh, one of my favorites of theirs, and it's so weird because it's not a studio album, but all the songs are brand new. They don't not release anywhere else. That's interesting. None of they're not covers, really. They have one cover on there. The huh. it was "Walk" by Pantera. Okay, that's fascinating. What an odd thing to do, indeed. W- with "Suck on This," it gets it gets weirder. I just looked it up a little bit more, and so they were actually releasing songs studio versions of songs from that live album for the next decade. So uh, most of the tracks ended up on Frizzle Fry. Tommy the Cat ends up on Seize the Cheese. The Pressman is on Suck on This and ends up on Pork Soda. Another song there comes out on the Airhead soundtrack after that. And then The Heckler <laughs> was released as a hidden track on Antipop. So this live album they released in 89, they mined that for material for albums all the way through 1999. And this was after this band had only existed. It played for like a couple months together. It's kind of ingenious, though, if you think about it, because everybody's biggest complaint about most bands is that they, you know, their first album is their true sound, their origin sound. And then after that, they trail off and start sounding different. And everybody's Mm -hmm. complaint is that it doesn't sound like the original sound. So how can you say that it doesn't sound original if it's it's from, you know, when they originally came out? Yeah, I kind of appreciate bands that pick they say, okay, we started this song, you know, five, 10 years ago, but it wasn't like in its final form yet. And then they release it 
later. And I feel like you can definitely catch the vibes of the fact that that song was older. If you're paying close attention to a lot of those kind of tracks. And to Primus's credit, although this like funk rock heavy on the bass kind of sometimes metal uh, style is like their style throughout their whole discography to their credit, they do change their sound up at different times on different albums. Like I said, the Brown album has really like percussion heavy. It's a different mix on those drums. The anti-pop probably really was like their poppiest. It had, you know, guest appearances by Tom Morello and people. Tales from the Punch Bowl gets real weird near the end. <laughs> and so there's there are differences on each of their albums, but they're a band that does a great job of staying true to the things that you probably liked about them before. Well, and Les Claypool said in a recent interview that you, I think you shared on our Facebook page. If I didn't, I will. Yes. Uh, that each album is reflective of what's going on in, in all the band's lives, that mm-hmm. they take what's going on with them and try to put that into music. And I think that's definitely evident on their most recent album, The Desaturating Seven, because it's basically... He even said that he's been reading this book to his children a lot, and that's that's his muse. And we were talking about muses last week. You know, if that's what inspires him to make music, or if that's what uh, you know he he wants to use to help him make music, and that's his right, obviously. Yeah, and that's an interesting point too. Is you'll see, you can see sometimes the things that parenthood does to people, and and almost any band that has any longevity reaches that point. You know, oftentimes you'll start off in your twenties, maybe early twenties, and at some point in the next decade, 15 years or so, you'll probably settle down and have kids and stuff. And that totally makes sense that the desaturating seven would come from that. Probably even the chocolate factory album. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't, I can't say that for a fact, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if it partially came from him, you know, like introducing his kids to like those kind of classic stories. Makes sense. Yeah, I agree. It's a theory. We throw out a lot of theories and we don't fact check them because it's, it's fun to do that. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> No, I agree with that, though, that it, it does change a person. It's, you know, it changes everything about you because then you're not just worrying about yourself. You're responsible for others. So it 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 is it, it is a life changing event that will completely change your thought process and every in the way you go about living. It's true. Dan's newest metal album is all lullabies, actually. <laughs> and so <laughs> honestly, uh, kids metal that used to kids, work for my metal. my firstborn uh, when when he was born, I couldn't, he was a real pain as a baby. And we literally had to use different uh, Metallica songs to get him to <laughs> calm down. Actual Metallica songs or Metallica yes. lullabies? Both okay. actually. <laughs> Cause there, there are, there are lullaby versions released of Metallica songs too. <laughs> yes. We actually used both. Uh, whenever he didn't, you know, take to the real Metallica songs, then we would, Try to play the lullabies just to calm them down. And uh, it, nothing works, but, you know. <laughs> I hope he dreamed of of headbanging. Well, <laughs> he because we went to a concert when my wife was pregnant with him, he really liked music when he first was born and, and reacted to music a lot. In fact, one of the concerts that we went to was Deftones while she was pregnant with him. And his favorite band for like the first two years of his life was Deftones. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I I hope if I ever have a child that, that they pick, that they have a clear favorite rock band in their first two years of life. That would be fantastic. (laughs) It was awesome. 
favorite as in like they were the ones that he, you know he got the most excited visibly excited about or yes exactly yeah uh, he when we played them in the car he'd get all excited he'd bang his head he'd f- you know flail wildly while in his car seat um and it also helped weirdly enough it also helped calm him down like at night and uh you know when we we're getting ready to try to go to bed and get him relaxed we'd listen to some deaf tones and he'd just start like getting real chilled I can understand that. Sometimes when I'm having trouble sleeping, somebody just comes into my room and, and yells, shove it like 18 times at me. And that calms me down for sure. I'm done after that. <laughs> That's a fantastic story. Uh, you said that that it was, you spoke in the past tense, that was his favorite band, which makes me a little bit sad. Um, unless you're speaking to the fact that last week you mentioned that that your kids have become huge Skin Dread fans. You're exactly correct that. Yeah, he well, he he's at the age now where his favorite band changes every week. But uh, that's all right, too. Yeah. Currently, it is Skinned Red. Last week, it was like Grandson or the way yeah. before <laughs> that. It was it was something different. He's he's got he's refining his taste as he gets older. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's he's getting to the age now that it's it's whatever daddy wants to do or wants to listen to. He wants to do the opposite. And it's really frustrating. Oh, <laughs> Because I have one that absolutely adores and loves everything that I do. He's two years old and he'll rock out and he's the funniest little thing when it comes to watching concerts and stuff. And then the other one gets all mad because he does not want to do anything that we want to do. No. <laughs> it's it's fun. Kids are kids are fun. He's going through that contrarian <laughs> it's, it's, phase. It's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. So do you guys have any other favorites, particularly from Tales from the Punch Bowl. Well, one thing I wanted to mention is the fact that uh, Taco Bell is referenced in two different songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Taco Bell is referenced in in Winona. And who? what's the other one? Is it the DeAnza, DeAnza Jig? Jig? Yep. Somebody works at Taco Bell in that one, right? Um, they, ha- they hang out uh, at the Jack in the Box, but eat at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> There's a lot of food in general on this album. The Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. That's true. That glass sandwich. Uh, Space <laughs> Farm is all about farm animals. <laughs> Just farm animal sounds. It's a strange album, but mostly in a great way. Well, every year at Christmas, we always play Del Davis's Tree Farm. I know you like to do the toys go winding down as well. Yeah. In that time. Yep. Yes. And Jilly's on smack. We have, and that's one reason why we eventually started doing the Primus is because we felt that for one, nobody else played them anywhere. And as I said, in the beginning of the show, I had not heard of Primus other than the two or three main songs because I listened to radio and that's where I got all of my exposure to Primus. And so I decided because I was only getting exposed to from the radio and they only were playing two or three great songs. And I had this greatest hits that was fantastic. All the songs in there were great. And obviously the more and more that, that you guys got me exposed to more and more Primus, I just love them. And so I think we just made it a point. We also drew inspiration from another radio station that our show is kind of based on uh, called extreme radio. And they had a segment called mandatory Metallica that they played every single day we kind of morphed that and basically put Primus and decided to play Primus every single week. And therefore Primus time was born. 
It works. And also shout out to to the Itch's friend Ronnie, who I don't know if he was the one who officially called it Primus Timus, but he was definitely one who liked to say it the most. I'm pretty sure he was the one that came up with it. Ah, so we'll give Ronnie credit for for the actual naming of the segment. So Dan took inspiration from this greatest hits album. Is like, we need to play all of these songs. And so we started to. And over time, it became a thing where we would start at the beginning of each year. And every week on the show, we would play a different Primus song. And we would shuffle up different albums and everything. And we would make sure we did not repeat throughout the entire year. And then it eventually continued to evolve where certain songs started getting specific spots and associations. Like you mentioned, a couple of the Christmas songs. I know we had one on the 4th of July. Um, American Life on 4th of July. Yeah. Mama didn't raise no fool for Mother's Day. Yep. And so now Primus is just like a way of life for the itch. And we just get our little dose of weirdness every week and it keeps on shuffling. And we were grateful when Green Naugahyde came out and they started releasing new music again, at least until the 7. (laughs) Because it gave us more and more to play. And so we surely have played... 95 plus maybe maybe almost 100 percent of their release tracks at some point by this point when green nagahide was released was when we decided to no repeat our primus for the entire year so that's been most of a decade correct because we felt by that time we had enough primus to go the entire year and not have to play the same song over and over again that all kind of tied back to our purpose is we wanted to make sure that we could expose as much Primus to everybody as possible because nobody was hearing these songs any other way. It wasn't like nowadays where you have social media and they just kind of start winding you down this tunnel of Primus stuff or, you know, they one song leads to another Primus song or leads to another Primus song. It doesn't happen like that. Like all we had back then was radio and, you know, MP3s, but you had to know what you were looking for in order to find that particular MP3. So you, right. you know, it wasn't suggested, oh, you like this MP3? You might want to download this one, too. That there, wasn't, there wasn't a thing like that. Or a YouTube mix. <laughs> right. To quote Eliza Schlesinger, we're elder millennials. And as such, we were doing this before Pandora let you, you know, pick a song and spawn an entire station out of it or before Spotify <laughs> let you play anything you wanted at any time. And so there was definitely some value in if you wanted somebody to hear something and you had a medium to do so, i.e. a radio station with a real nice signal, uh, you played the thing that you wanted people to hear. And so that's how things like the Dienza jig ended up on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quite proud of us. I am too. I know uh, this, this really, honestly, this is probably my favorite of the segments that we do because it was just such a strange thing to choose to do. And I love that we based it off of the idea of mandatory Metallica and and uh, Extreme Radio. So shout out to Extreme Radio. RIP, we still miss you. <laughs> you have no idea. Without getting too specific, there's been some very poor imitators that have come up in St. Louis rock radio since then. Yeah. Yeah. It was a short-lived radio <laughs> station. It was only on the air for maybe three or four years, if that. But it was it was it it meant a lot to me because it was my high school time, and it, it exposed me to a lot of metal music and hard rock music that I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise and just made a big impression on me because that was when I first started to get into hard rock and and metal and and was when I turned 13 because I went to see Metallica live and it was it was all uphill from there it was I was a rock I was hooked I had to go you know get to learn more about rock music and more see more rock bands and yeah it was fantastic (laughs) 
<laughs> I will note that um, I doubt that the name Extreme Radio would have aged very well. It's definitely a word that made the most sense in the like the mid late nineties and early two thousands when yeah. everything was extreme. Uh, at some point, that kind of fades away. But man, they knew what they were doing in terms of rock music, and so you know, not only is Primus kind of a foundational band for this show but that station really was sort of like the guideline with which we based how we operated because there are other rock stations in st louis and there were back then and we though we were much smaller you know we had a small time slot we weren't a full-time station or anything like that we tried to differentiate a little bit how we did things deliberately and extreme radio was kind of what we modeled ourselves off of the blueprint yeah they were the blueprint for the itch in my opinion would you guys agree with that yeah 100 percent yeah. And it actually, uh, uh, one of our tributes to them when we started our show was to, the last song that Extreme Radio played was Metallica, Fade to Black, which made sense at the time for them. They were signing off. That's so sad. And so <laughs> our tribute to them to kind of honor their show and to set the precedence of what kind of a show we were going to be was play Metallica's Fade to Black. <laughs> that was the first song we ever played on our show. Look at that continuity right there. We are yep. literally like a reincarnation of them now. I just thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> but we lasted and we ceased to be extreme, but we have still, we have carried on. Well, and as this podcast shows, we've continued to uh, change with the times. You know, our, our radio show is a great example of how we've continued to keep with uh, the technology and, and, our, and just keep up with everything that's going on in the, in the terms of... Uh, music and how it's distributed and, and how everybody's getting at, you know their music fed to them because we started off just doing a radio show just playing it with cds uh, as the cds kind of got out of date we started cataloging them so we could play request and then as that went by the wayside we started making band albums like to where you know each disc we had was the greatest hits and we could play a song off of that then we started using computers and started playing music from our computers to make sure that we and then the cds were taken away from the radio station <laughs> exactly and so now that we don't have access to the radio station <laughs> we're doing the best we can with what we have and we're making a podcast out of it so we can continue to share uh music and continue to expose bands like primus that don't get the exposure they deserve tying it all back in that's right look at that look at how you did that <laughs> yeah so the moral of the story is the itch the itch will always eventually catch up to the times. <laughs> eventually. You guys know there are officially 1 million registered podcasts in existence at this point. Wow. Now, granted, half of them are dormant. People made like three episodes and then stopped. But yeah. And, and compared to how many other things exist, like books that are published and whatnot, it's actually a small number. But yeah, 1 million. That's nuts. I'm glad to hear that we contributed to that. Yeah, maybe we were the one millionth. Let's pretend that we were. <laughs> yeah, do we automatically get one million listeners? I would love that. <laughs> I'm like, I'll see who I can talk to about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, getting back to Primus, um, I've got one for you guys. So apparently for this particular track, at some point, Les Claypool, Primus's leader and bassist extraordinaire. Side story, Les Claypool once auditioned for Metallica to be their bassist. And they rejected him because they told him he was too good. I'm almost positive it was before Jason Newstead joined the band. He uh, it was like right in 88, 89. So back before I think Primus actually had formed, 
Yeah, he basically did try out for the band. They told him he was too good, and they basically suggested that he do his own thing. And I'm pretty sure they were kind of what helped inspire him. And that's not to slam Metallica's bassist. If you listen to what Primus does and what Metallica does, it totally makes sense that they would be like, you're not our guy. Because Les Claypool's style of bass sounds nothing like what Metallica bass is. That's not what you need for their kind of thrash metal that they were doing. Yeah. And so it made much more sense for him to get to do his own, you know, slap bass funk. kind. Of, it was a different sound. It's interesting to, to imagine what Metallica would sound like with Les as their bassist. I think it would have been traumatic for the music world if that would have happened, because I don't know if you guys have. <laughs> no, seriously, because if, if you heard the stories that Jason Newstead tells, he, it was not a good time. The three people, mm-hmm. Lars Ulrich, Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield were all going through a hard time. They had just lost Cliff Burton. That was their original founding bassist. It was the, a founding member of Metallica. And so they took out all their sorrow on Jason Newstead and pretty much made him the uh, kind of the scapegoat for their pain, sort of. Yeah, yeah. They they pretty much made him the scapegoat for everything, and he mm. he hated it. He hated being the the brunt of all their their pain and stuff. But he stayed. He stuck with it for a long time because of the music. He loved playing music, and he was he was a great bassist in his own. There's no doubt about it. If you want to hear sort of what uh, Les Claypool. Uh, as the basis for Metallica would sound like. You can look up the EP Rhinoplasty, which was released in 98 and features a Primus cover of Metallica's The Thing That Should Not Be. That's about as close as you're probably going to get. <laughs> yes. Hearing that. But yeah, it, back, it, to, back to my story. Go ahead. I was oh. just saying it's a really good cover. It is a good cover as well. But back to the story. Um, for this song, the track from Tales from the Punchbowl, apparently at some point less was asked about the title of it. And he explained that he wanted to make a theme song. And that's why he wrote this song. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of poetry right now. This one's called Hellbound 17 and a half, the theme from. And it goes like this. Questions deserving answers. Answers deserving action. What am I of the populi? I am but a fraction. Is there heaven? Is there hell? Is that tuna melt I smell? Come on. Thank you. <laughs> How do you not love that album? That's a fantastic lyric. That's the entire lyrics to Hellbound. That was beautiful. Isn't it? I just, I, I really, it brought tears to my eyes. I might need a moment. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where I truly fell in love with the album and the band. I don't know. It's hard to ignore that one. But uh, yeah, so here's another one for you guys. I, I know my favorites. I've mentioned that Brown Album, Punch Bowl, Sailing the Cheese of Cheese are my favorites. Uh, we've kind of agreed that Desaturating 7 is our collective least favorite. I don't know about you guys. You may be surprised to hear my other least favorite, but um, I'd be curious to hear where you guys are in terms of, give me your, your like top tier Primus and your bottom tier. You don't have to necessarily rank them, but... Top three, bottom three kind of thing? Something like that. Whatever, however you want that tier to be. Don't force it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I'd say my top album, to be honest, is... Probably Tales from the Punch Bowl. I, there's something about mm. this album, like the way that it starts off with uh, Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. I love that song. It, it, and I think the reason why is because it sounds like a live song and it just makes me feel like I'm there at their concert getting ready to see them. And it just gets me excited. It's seven minutes long and it, yeah, it builds with like this crowd sound and this chugga, 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 chugga. Like it's very, it, it, that's a great way of putting it. It definitely sounds like a live track and it's an awesome way to intro an album. Also, how many bands 
start their album with the longest track on it. Usually you hear that kind of thing towards the end or maybe in the middle. Premise is like, no, seven minutes right off the bat. And if you can stick through that, then we got you. Exactly. <laughs> and then this album also features my favorite Primus song, Southbound Pachyderm. So that's mm. probably why it's definitely in my top three. I'd say the other one would most likely be Sailing Seas Cheese. It's just obvious. It's got all the great songs. Sergeant Baker, American Lie, Jerry was oh, a race car driver, Time of the Cat, uh, Seas of Cheese, uh, those damn blue collar, <laughs> everything on this album is just fantastic. The more time go- time goes by, the more I love Tommy the Cat. <laughs> just because of the voice of, of Tom Waits, who provides the voice of Tommy the Cat himself, the song is less singing about this alley cat. And during it, there's a part where the cat talks and it's voiced by another very famous, notable. He's got this kind of raspy voice a little bit. He was he was an inspiration for Heath Ledger's Joker is an interesting kind of little note about that. But anyway, um, and also <laughs> of note. <laughs> we have also unofficially declared, and I would love to get the rights to do this, and I will if I can. We've unofficially declared Here Come the Bastards is our own personal uh, The Itches theme song. Yes. So that's a point for Seas of Cheese. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, I think on the second episode, I, I told you that I was leaving you with a cliffhanger of something I was trying to do. And now here we are a few weeks later, and I just remembered that I never told you. So... What it was, was that I was trying to reach out to Primus to see if we could somehow secure the rights to use that track as our theme. And that would just, <laughs> that would, that would make my entire quarantine if we could get that to happen. <laughs> I definitely agree. I mean, because it's not that any of us are truly bastards, but it's just always been kind of our, you know, our unofficial theme song. It's self-deprecating humor. Yes. Yep. And, that, and that's, that's, that's the kind of humor I love. Also, yeah, again, totally agreed. Sailing the Seas of Cheese is is kind of like a greatest hits album of its own. Exactly. It's just loaded. And then you might be surprised to know that my third favorite, it's uh, it's really close, to be honest. It would either be Green Naugahyde or Annie Pop. Hmm. Nothing wrong with that. And one of the reasons why with Green Naugahyde is just because that was the first time that they had released a new album that when I was a fan of them, you know, like I said, we, you know, we started doing the show in 2004. Uh, Green Hog Hide came out in 2011, you said? Yeah. Yep. It was their first new full album since Antipop, which was 1999. Exactly. So the whole time I was a fan and I had really gotten into this band, they were dormant. <laughs> they, they weren't touring. They weren't <laughs> making any music. Les Claypool was doing solo stuff, but his solo stuff was so off the wall that I didn't really get into it. So Green Naugahyde has a special place for you because it was finally your chance to be like, yes, they're actually back. Exactly. And there was, and then it led into my first chance of getting to see them live and getting to see that pretty much them play that album live and, and all the rest of their great music. It was, it was very enjoyable. And then Andy Pop, just because, I don't know, there's something about that album. I know it's not Les Claypool's favorite album because of what was going on in his life, but I love that album. I, I love the songs. Electric Uncle Sam is probably one oh, of my man. favorites. Uh, Andy Pop. Yeah, it, it, Mama Didn't Raise No Fool. Like you said, we play that other, every Mother's Day. Like, There's just so many great songs in there. Ballad of Audacious. <laughs> I, I love that album. And I, I hate that, that Les Claypool does not. That, that bothers me so much. Because it is one of my favorite. That link, or that, uh, yeah, the article that Dan mentioned was uh, an article that I found of Les Claypool himself breaking down the Primus discography and explaining his favorites. Well, not his favorites. He explained where, like, he his own ranking of them. And, and as you mentioned, everything came down to what was going on in the band. And during Antipop, there was a lot of turmoil. It was, like, hard 
it just weren't things weren't clicking. And so he doesn't have fond memories of it. But man, when you've got, you know, Mama Didn't Raise No Fool and Dirty Drowning Man and the anti-pop itself, they still made some great music, even despite the fact that they weren't enjoying themselves. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. It's pretty remarkable. And Green Naugahyde, speaking of that one, I thought that was a fantastic comeback album. I was, I'm always worried when a band goes dormant for a while and then comes back, like, will they be able to recapture it? And that was a, that was a good album right there. One of the things I loved about Green Naugahyde is it kept the Fisherman Tales going. Yeah, so one of the things that Primus does that I really enjoy, and I wish more bands did this, occasionally you find one that does, Static X and Soulfly are bands that came to mind. But they have, a, I don't know if it's necessarily like a, a series per se, it's called The Fisherman's Chronicles, and it's sort of a story, or at least a continuity, that they continue throughout various albums. And so Green Naugahyde features a song called The Last Salmon Man, which is part four of the Fisherman's Chronicles that started way back early on in their albums. So it goes all the way back to John the Fisherman on Frizzle Fry, their debut album in 1990. So every once in a while, they're like, we need to get back to those fishermen and tell some more stories about that. Who doesn't like hearing about some crazy fisherman? Like that's literally most of his songs are just about the most random things ever. He tells, (laughs) yeah, he tells these stories about just like strange people in, I don't know, in weird, weird towns and just, he's always throwing in these details are like, Oh, that's not what I expected to happen in that story. <laughs> and Les Claypool released a book, um, like a fiction story. And I'm very curious. Sometime I really would like to read that because we've lived in a world of his stories in music. I would be very curious to see what his mind created for a world in like a novel form. Like what is Claypool land? That's gotta be a messed up place to be. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine, especially if it's fiction. <laughs> right. He's uninhibited from going wherever he wants with that. And then getting back on track, <laughs> I, you know, I would say that my least favorite, yeah, I, I would have to say definitely the desaturating seven, as we explained. Uh, I would also have to go with probably Fresno Fry and then Pork Soda. Fresno Fry is okay. It's got some decent songs on it, like. We were talking about earlier, Too Many Puppies, you know, there's some good songs on it. But out of all the albums, I think that there's just better ones. And then with Pork Soda, I, I'm just not a fan of that album at all. <laughs> like, It was a huge one for them. Like, it was one of their biggest ones. It has My Name is Mud, which is arguably their biggest song. But it, to me, it doesn't have much more than that, except for it does have one more Fisherman's Chronicle. They sold more copies of Pork Soda than any other album. Which is wild to yeah. me. Yeah, well, I I think it all goes to show at the time that everything was so singles-driven and radio-driven, and they didn't get the radio play that they deserved on the other albums. And so when My Name Was Mud hit, and it, it drove album sales. I think that's also what kind of killed the band, to be honest, because you hear this album, as, as we all said, we're huge Primus fans. I am not a fan of this album, and if this was the way that I was introduced to this band, I probably wouldn't have been a fan either. I was reading a, a little bit of a review, and it was talking about how one reviewer anyway said that Frizzle Fry or Seas of Cheese are probably better introductions to the world of Primus. And I definitely would agree with that. And that's as somebody who's not that huge on Frizzle Fry. It's among, it's probably my bottom half, but it's still to me better than that one. I don't. Yeah. I'll give Pork Soda credit for having memorable artwork. <laughs> Grotesque claymation pig on the front. All Primus album covers are, are just incredible to be honest. And most of them are claymation. They, or at least a significant number. They, they love that stuff. 
I think grotesque is really a good word. I'm going to keep using that for them. They they like to make <laughs> things that are a little unsettling visually and just a little weird. So, Casey, how about you? What do you what would you say top tier and bottom tier? For me, it'd probably be Antipop, Sailing the Seas of Cheese, and Tales from the Punch Bowl. So Antipop's your favorite? Yeah, for my favorites. And then the bottom would be Pork Soda, Desaturated 7, and I don't know what the third one would be there. Probably. Does the Chocolate Factory count? I wouldn't. <laughs> no no it's okay. not an album it's it's a cover album it's just them playing the music if we are counting it then yes that's on the bottom <laughs> yeah that's right below right 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 after desaturating seven desaturating seven is still on the bottom and then primus in the chocolate factory and then <laughs> probably pork soda to anyone who doesn't know primus and the chocolate factory was a an album that they did with the fungi ensemble it's what they call yes. a reimagining of the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory soundtrack. So we want to talk about weird worlds like Willy Wonka. That's a bizarre world already. Can you imagine like a less Claypool directed Willy Wonka movie? (laughs) That would have to be the trippiest experience. I don't know if it could get any different than Tim Burton, but that's a good point. It's true, man. And I think that's probably what inspired that is that he, you know, He's probably just as goofy as Tim Burton and probably saw that version was like, man, I want to make music based on that version. (laughs) Nice. Here's a fun bonus for you. It was that uh, whenever they released that album, the the Willy Wonka album, they also started uh, selling Primus chocolate bars as a tie in to the idea that were named (laughs) after some of their other songs. So they were combining this idea of, you know, Willy Wonka, the whole story being about the candy factory. And also, it was sort of their way of making money and a little bit rebelling about the fact that by that time that that album came out, it was to a point where it was very hard to make money just by releasing music. You had to release other gimmicky things to get people in. And so they were like, how about chocolate bars? So they had a Mr. Crinkle bar and a pork soda bar and a Professor Nut Butter bar, and, which is particularly <laughs> entertaining. And uh, and bastard bars, I don't think I'd want that last one. But uh, <laughs> other than that, sounds pretty delicious. So I was actually wrong. Les Claypool is a fan of the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory back when it came out in 1971. And actually, there's a quote that says, "I don't think it was until Jaws came along that I was more obsessed with the film. When I started drawing sharks all over my binders and notebooks, prior to that, it was everything Wonka." Well, there you go. That's entirely the kind of world that I can see him living in. Yeah. It's pure imagination, right? Yeah, exactly. So that one may or may not count in terms of their discography, but either way, cool idea. Like have fun with that. Not really necessarily for us. (laughs) Yeah. And I never really got the, the point of it. I think it was really to get Tim Alexander back in the mix from what I understand. And it's also the first album that features Larry Lalonde on lead vocals uh, with the track. I want it now. Oh, he voices. Okay. Yeah. It's the first song. So I think it was honestly just them kind of having fun uh, and just trying to get Tim Alexander back in the mix after uh, the other drummer left. Yeah. So of, of note, uh, Tim Alexander is the main Primus drummer. Primus has had a few drummers. He was with them from the beginning from Suck on This through Tales from the Punch Bowl. He 
left and they had a different drummer. They had Brain as their drummer for uh, the Brown album and Antipop, I believe. I could be wrong about that, but it's kind of beside the point. Tim came back for The Animal Should Not Try to Act Like People and then left again and came back for the uh, Primus and the Chocolate Factory album. So he's the he's the most prominent of Primus's multiple drummers that they've had. Correct. You got nothing, Casey? I was going to say, well, that's the celebration of the 25 years of Tales from the Punch Bowl. Yeah, I would definitely say that this band has had a lot of influence on our radio show, and it's been one of the reasons why it's been so fun to have this show because we get to expose bands like this that don't get the exposure elsewhere and that not many people know. And you get to, it's a prideful thing for me because it's like, ha, I get to play these guys on the radio when no one else will. And it speaks to the diversity of rock and what we hope to do in general. We mentioned before the number of different genre directions that rock can go. And so we hear Primus and they're, yeah, they're a band where the bass guitar is the the most featured instrument, though their guitar and their drums are fantastic as well and all important to it for sure. But that's a rare thing in rock for the bass to be the focus. And so the fact that we latched on to this oddball sounding, they're weirdos as people, but also odd sounding. But they they express so well the kind of variety that exists in the rock world. And that's one of the reasons why we love them. So that's the Itch's little love letter to Primus. We hope you have enjoyed it. If not, next week we'll do something very different and maybe you'll enjoy it more. But also, we only kind of care because we really needed to talk a lot about Primus right now. <laughs> It's like you said at the beginning of the show, we have three founding parts of our show that we've, you know, that we had pretty much since the beginning, the classic rock block, Primus Timus, and Flavor of the Week. And so we've always considered this band a major, major foundation of the itch. Let us know your favorite songs or albums. Maybe Tales from the Punch Bowl and the Caesar Cheese don't rank so high, or maybe you can convince us of the greatness of Pork Soda or the Desaturating Seven. Feel free to try. You can look us up on facebook.com slash itchrocks or itchrocks at Gmail. We also greatly appreciate reviews and ratings. As many a podcaster has probably told you before, those are what get podcasts in front of more people. When you when you see things climb charts or have higher notes, they are ratings, they they get boosted up on Apple Music and places like that. And so more people can say, hey, let me check that out too. Otherwise, you kind of get buried. Like I said, there's a million podcasts in existence. And so it's hard to get noticed. We are very grateful for those who, who do that and help. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our walk through Primus. <laughs> <laughs> very long walk. It was a meandering one. My favorite kind. Yes. Uh you know, basically explaining the foundation of why we love this band, why they've been so much a part of our show and everything that we do. So thank you very much for listening. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. We are The Itch. Until next time, rock on. Hey, this is Ronnie, and that was Primus Timus.